So I want to start off this morning with a, a question. What have you seen this week? I, I, always, I try to always start off with a, 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 a thinking question. I love a thinking question. Here's the thinking question. What, have you, what of the character of God have you learned or been reminded about this week? What of the character of God have you been shown or reminded about this week? Hold on, I got, I got the mic. I'll be the runner here unless somebody wants to help me. Can you hear me? No, can't hear you. I got a big man video What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Say hello to all the Facebook folks. Hello, all you Facebook Alan, do we have any idea how many is on right now? No. Well, for those of you on Facebook, welcome. Good to see you. Hello. Go ahead. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Character. Yeah. Uh, so you saw that this week. I experienced it. Uh, I've seen it in yes, with Good. working with others. Um, sometimes I forget where I came from. Yeah. And I get a little judgmental sometimes, mm. based on past. And then I ask God, please show me. What's wrong here? With is it me or them or what? And yeah. he said, Maxan, it's forgiveness. You've had plenty of it. So yeah, forgiveness was my deal. That always helps to forgive other people, doesn't it? When you realize how much you've been forgiven. It kinda helps a little bit, doesn't it? God's good at reminding you too. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. Um, I just want to say that, you know, I've been struggling with an issue this week, and I've been praying a whole lot, and I've seen God, and I've told God in every aspect of that the situation. I cannot go into details, but um, I just want to say that I really, really pray for God's guidance in, in order for him to lead me to someone else, and he did. Good. But I've been feeling like a real bad pressure from the stress, anxiety over the situation. And I feel like that, you know, every time I give it to God and let God handle it, I take it back and try to handle it myself. And so I ask God, I say, God, it's yours. Take it and give me the strength not to take it back. Mm -hmm. And so he has really been doing that lately. And so I just want to praise him for him leading me to someone else. Good. I want to praise him for his love and for being there for me and just letting me know he's there. Fantastic. And letting me feel his presence. So I just wanted to share that. Thank you, Pam. I appreciate that. Anybody else? Okay, one more right here or two more? All right, go ahead, Roxanne. What of the character of God have you learned or seen this week? Sovereignty. Ooh, okay. Sovereignty. The the whole SCOTUS the, uh, justice reports and some of the stuff that's happening in Israel even today that we don't hear about too much. And yeah. Just the sovereignty. He's got this. He's yep. got this. And I just, it was placed on my heart this week, where do I fit into that? And it reminded me of Daniel. Where does Daniel fit into this 
very relevant, isn't going. it? Very yeah. relevant for today. Yeah. <laughs> very good. Thank you. All right. I can't sit in nature without seeing his majesty and power. I sat out yesterday morning and just enjoyed the morning. And I just sat there and praised him because it's, can you imagine what it took to create all this? He is a major power. Amen to that. So that's one of the things that we're trying to do in our discipleship group uh, that we're doing on Sundays and Thursdays is just developing an attitude, or not an attitude, but developing an awareness of God's activity wherever you go. And, and so you see him, don't you? I mean, literally every week, if you, if you have your eyes open, you have your ears open, you're going to see God, literally his activity everywhere. Okay, well, let's get into the text for this morning. Those are the dates for the upcoming discipleship training next week, Thursday, July 7th. If you want to write that down, then the next Sunday, July the 10th, uh, from 1.30 to 2.30. We would have done one today, but we have several that are going to be working over there at the Fourth of July stuff and getting ready, so we decided not to do it today. Okay, so we're going to be getting into a brand new chapter of Daniel. Take your Bibles out, go to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, we're going to be looking at a uh, fascinating story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, we're not going to see Daniel in this chapter, and that is one of the great mysteries of this chapter. When uh, Daniel, uh, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, Daniel is nowhere in the story. We don't know where he is. He wasn't in there. Um, most people conjecture, I can give you the, at least the conjecture, is remember, uh, Daniel was second to the king. He was a very high official. So when you have a title and a responsibility that high, do you stay at home very often? No, you're always out, right? You're, you're, always, go, you're always traveling. You're the right-hand man to the king. So that's probably... The Bible doesn't tell us, but that's probably what's going on, why he's not with us, okay? All right, let's get into the text. We're going to start off here. Oh, I did want to mention a quick thought. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar, by this point, he's made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon were to be killed, right? This is what happened in the last chapter. Um, at first, they couldn't tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream. He made that proclamation, said, not only do you have to tell me the dream, but you've got to tell me the interpretation, uh, they go and they tell Daniel. Daniel says, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> let's have a prayer meeting first. Let's ask the Lord. Let's give this one more go. They do. They get the interpretation. They go. They tell Daniel the dream. And so we ended last time with, with Daniel interpreting this dream, which is this image of a man that's made up of different metals. And we said that that lays out Gentile history in advance, uh, literally from the time of Babylon all the way up until the time of the return of Jesus Christ. There's even information there that is still yet future to you and I, uh, which is most fascinating, I think. Um, but you would think, and this is, this is what I was thinking about when you get into chapter 3, Daniel interprets this dream. Um, he saved all their necks, didn't he? <laughs> all those wise men of Babylon should owe their gratitude to Daniel, because if not, what was going to happen to them? They were going to be killed. If you remember what Nebuchadnezzar said, he said, you'll be killed, your families will be killed, and I'll take your houses and I'll turn those into dung hills. <laughs> so you would think that they would be pretty, pretty gracious and thankful to Daniel, right? No. <laughs> uh, they're actually pretty upset with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? Because they're Chaldean. 
they're Chaldean, they're Babylonian, most of these guys. They're, they've been in the system for a long time, right? This is the newcomer, these are the newcomers, these are Jews, these are outsiders, and they don't like the fact um, that they have sway with the king. And so they're going to try to uh, deal with Daniel and the boys here in just a little while. Let's get into verse 1 of chapter 3. So King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. Now, in the previous chapter, he, we saw this dream, this image, and there was this image, and, but gold wasn't the whole image, was it? Where was the gold in the image? It was the head. And that represented him. And after that was to be another metal. It was made of silver, right? What was the point of the image? What? Different kings, different kingdoms, right? And Babylon is not going to last forever. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like that. He wants his kingdom to last forever. So when he creates his image in the next chapter, he makes the whole thing gold. Right? So he's saying, I'm going to be, that my empire will not come to an end. I'm going to rule and reign forever and ever and ever. Right? That's the idea. Okay. So pretty arrogant. Now, he's made this image 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. How, how long is that? We don't know, really. Um, how long is a cubit? Here's what the ancient records tell us. Let's see if this helps you. A cubit, this is literally what the ancient text will tell you. A cubit is the length from the elbow to the tip of the hand. Well, that's good, but let me measure yours and you measure mine, right? <laughs> Just depends. Yours is a little shorter than mine, right? Okay, so a cubit is anywhere from between 18 and 22 inches. Okay, so if you went to, if you went to Egypt, guess what? They had an Egyptian cubit. There was a Babylonian cubit. There was an Assyrian cubit. <laughs> and they all varied a little bit, okay? So that's why we don't, we don't really truly know, for those of you who went on the Ark exhibit, they told you that there, didn't they? We don't know 100% sure how big the Ark was, but it's around here. Right? And that's because we don't really truly know what the length of a cubit is. So, based upon that, how big is this thing? Well, 60 cubits high would, would be somewhere around uh, 90 feet. About 90 feet high. That's pretty big. How, big. how wide would it be? If I do my calculation correct, I think it's about 9 feet wide. So about 9 feet wide, 90 feet high, made of gold. I don't know how you stand that thing up. Right? Had to have some kind of some posting going on there or whatever. All right. Now, so it's 60 cubits high, 60 cubits wide. And he has made this thing full of gold. So I think he's on a power trip. I think he's I think he's full of pride. I think he's on a bit of a power trip. And you're going to see why here in just a moment. Now, one interesting side note, and this may play into it or not. We don't know. But we do know this because archaeology tells us that in 596 B.C., um, there was a uh, there was some cuneiform tablets that were found, and this is how we know. But in 596 BC, we know that there was a revolt that happened in Babylon. Um, this was about three or so years right after Nebuchadnezzar took office. So this is right around the time period. Okay. So here's what some people conjecture: He takes over from his father Nabopolassar. He threatens the advisors, which shakes up the, pol the politics of the area. And then he does this. But we also know from history right around this time and, that there was a revolt. So it just, I'm not trying to make a whole bunch out of it, 
But I just think it's interesting how when you take a glance at history and you take a glance at archaeology, there's always kind of stuff that goes along with what you're talking about. Okay, look at verse 2. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. And then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Nebuchadnezzar had a way with words, as you can see. Uh, verse 7, therefore, as... Oh, let me, let's see, I don't have it up here. Oh, you've been changing it? Okay, thank you. I just now remembered it, too. Verse 7, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now watch this. Verse 8, at this time... Some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Let's stop right there. Have you ever noticed that in the history of the Jewish people, there's always people like this? There's always people that are trying to destroy the Jews. So here's all these nation groups there. They all bow down, and you can just imagine the scene in your head. All these nations, all these people, all these officials literally are before this 90-foot statue. The music starts. They all get down. They all get on their knees. And who's over there standing by themselves? The Jews. <laughs> the Jews. Remember what happened with Haman back in the story of Esther? The Jews. Remember what happened with uh, I don't know, Adolf Hitler? the Jews. There's a reason why the enemy wants to exterminate the Jews, folks. It's prophetic. It's prophetic. Okay, look at verse 9. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Oh, may the king live forever. That's what they used to do. That was their big thing. That's what they'd say. Yet your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Furnace, But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, I can't verify this, but I'm guessing these guys are yes men. I'm guessing they're political hacks. And I'm guessing they have probably filled Nebuchadnezzar's ears so full of fluff <laughs> to feed that ego and to make him feel big and important. Everybody should be bowing down to you. Are you serious? What emperor, what ruler have you ever imagined that would take a Jewish prophet and say, one day your kingdom's going to fall and you've got to be okay with it? Huh, I don't think so. So they're feeding him full of this stuff. And so what happens at verse 13? Furious with rage. Furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men are brought before the king. Okay. I want to take a moment and tell you about this really quick. I don't know. 
I pay attention to, to history and archaeology a lot, and I found this little nugget, and I want to read it to you, and I'm not making a big point to say this is that, but I think it's curious, and I think it's interesting. There is a, an, a Babylonian five-sided clay tablet that was found by archaeologists in the ancient area of Babylon, modern-day Iraq, right? And uh, it is currently on display in the Istanbul Museum. And if I was a better preacher, I'd have a picture of it for you. Uh, I tried to find one, and I couldn't find a good picture. So, um, But they translated this. It was written in Babylonian cuneiform, right, in Akkadian, old Akkadian script. And when they translated this, there were different names on it. There were three names that were very curious to a lot of scholars. Let me tell you what they are. The first one is Hanunu. Name your dog that. Hanunu is would be a good dog name. Hanunu. He was noted as the chief of the royal merchants. And by the way, Hanunu is a variation of Hananiah. Okay? That's one out of three. Strike one. That's good, right? <laughs> Let's keep going. There was another name on there. Mushala Marduk. Mushala Marduk. Marduk is the god Marduk, right? You take the name Marduk off of that, you have Mushal, and that is also a derivative of Meshach. Strike two. Not bad. Two out of three. Let's see if the third one's there. Ardi Nabu. Ardi Nabu is noted as the secretary to the crown prince. And Ardi Nabu is a variation of Abed Nego. Abed Nego. So is it possible that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are written right there on the inscription? Well, the names are correct. But again, I mean, you know, how many, how many ricks do you know? How many, you know, it could, it could be, it could not be. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Okay, verse 14. So here's what Nebuchadnezzar says to these guys. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Now, how old are these guys again? Kids. 14, 15 years old. Now stop right there. Are you not impressed with these guys already? How many 14, 15-year-old boys do you know that would stand up to the... <laughs> to the world emperor and have faith in God. I tell you what, I hope my teenagers one day have that kind of faith. I really do. So they're about 14, 15 years old, and Nebuchadnezzar here, because of their background, no doubt he's given them a second chance, I think, because they've helped him in the past, right? Otherwise, he would have just thrown them in the fire. So he says, listen, I'm going to give you another chance. Let's think about this a little bit, all right? So here's what he says, verse 15. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then look what he says after that. I hate that he says this. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Well, you just wait, buddy. <laughs> you about to find out. Okay? So again, he is on a pride kick. Pride kick. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us up from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we won't serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. I don't, I don't, this is really not funny. I had a Bible teacher one time. He got to the end of this, and he said, so up yours, O king. <laughs> so 
<laughs> you know? He was just like, I mean, just thumbing his nose at him, right? But listen to me. This is important. Don't miss this. I'm not trying to make a crack out of something that, that, that's not legit. What is their faith telling you here about God? Huh? Won't bow down. It doesn't matter what you do. See, this is about God's sovereignty here. And when you are convinced of God's sovereignty, you can walk in peace in life because it doesn't matter if somebody hurts you or doesn't hurt you because the only power that that person even has is because God allowed it. And if God doesn't want you to be dead, you ain't going to be dead, <laughs> right? And by the way, somebody mentioned Roe v. Wade. You know, that's the greatest argument for life that there is. People say, you know, people talk about it in the Bible. The greatest argument for life is that Jesus Christ is the one who creates it and, and, and sustains it. So if there's life living inside of you, it's because God allowed it to happen. And if God allowed it to happen, it's for purpose. There are no accidents with the Father. None. Zero. Everything falls under the sovereignty of the Father. Everything. Amen? Okay, let's keep going. So... Uh, Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. So he's mad. He's real mad. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing fire. Now watch this, verse 22. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Somebody told me one time, he said they thought that was the backdraft. <laughs> I don't know anything about fires, but they said they heated that thing so hot when they opened the door, the threw them in, the backdraft got them, right? So I don't know. All right, look at verse 24. All right, so they're in there. Yeah, that's right, seeking oxygen, yeah. So I've always wondered how that happened. How in the world did those guys get killed or whatever? And then somebody who has some knowledge said, well, it's probably the backdraft. I was like, oh, okay. All right, let's see, where did we leave off? 24, okay. So look at verse 24. The king, king Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet, leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, well, look, I see four. <laughs> I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like what? Son of the gods. Some of your translations might say son of God. That's, that's probably not accurate because he's pagan, right? He has no concept of what, of what the son of God is, right? But he does have a concept of the sons of the gods. The pagans all believed in the sons of the gods. Hercules was a son of the gods, right? He was half God, half human, right? So, and that's Greek. That's not Babylonian. I'm just throwing that out there. But, but my point is, is that... Um, is that he sees four. He doesn't see three, he sees four. Now, stop right there for a second. Who's the fourth one? Who, who's this other person in the fire with, with these guys? Do we know? 
You say it's got to be Jesus. Okay. Is it an angel? Could be an angel. It's curious. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. How much more time we have? I mean, it might be next week when I talk about it. Nope, it'll be today. All right, we got time. Presence of the Lord. Very much so, the presence of the Lord. Yeah. Yes, ma'am, Pam. Say it again real loud. Oh, most high. Yep, very good. Okay. Uh, now, watch this. We know, we know, I want, I want to throw this out there. What year was it? If you get this right, I promise you, I want to give you a candy bar. What year was it when um, it, it was toward the fifth year? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. It was toward the end of the fifth year of Jehoiakim who is ruling back in Jerusalem. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar's on the throne. He's got a puppet king ruling in Israel at the time in Jerusalem, and that's Jehoiakim. It's in the fifth year that that happens that the Hebrew children were thrown into the fiery furnace. Now remember, they had been observed for three years and tested and then went into the king's service. After that, they entered the king's service. So this is toward the end of the fifth year, which is also the fifth year of Jehoiakim. Now why do I say that? Why is that important? Well... We know by just looking at the chronology in the Bible that it was during the fifth year of King Jehoiakim that the prophet Jeremiah sends a letter over to him. And he sends this letter, this scroll, and he has Baruch, his scribe, write it. And he's warning the king. He says, listen, you're, 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 sin, you're sinning, you need to repent, you need to come back. What does Jehoiakim do? The text tells us that Je- Jehoiakim takes the scroll and he rips it up. <laughs> Throws it in the fire. How many pieces? This is where I'm going to give you the candy bar. Can you tell me how many pieces he ripped the scroll into? Does anybody know? Four? Four? Seven. Seven, not seven. That's too many. The text literally says three or four. <laughs> we don't know. The, the writer says it was, I was like three or four pieces. He ripped it up. Three or four went in the fire. You say, why is that important? Hold on. So Jehoiakim has the word of the Lord in a scroll. And he doesn't heed the word. He cuts it up. He throws three or four pieces of the word of the Lord into the fire. The text says three or four. We don't know for sure. So here, the word of the Lord is thrown into the fire in Jerusalem. And the Lord appears in the fire in Babylon. What's up? Isn't that amazing? Nobody caught that? Okay. See, that's, I thought I was building that up to a big crescendo, and it, it, didn't, it didn't happen. Okay, let me, let me rewind it. Jeremiah is back in Jerusalem. Jehoiakim's on the throne. Jehoiakim's an evil king. So he has Baruch write a scroll. says, repent, or else. Jehoiakim the king takes that up, rips it apart, throws it into the fire. The text specifically says... Three or four, we don't know. Three or four. It was during the fifth year of Jehoiakim. At the same time, this mess up in Babylon is happening with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So in Jerusalem, he takes the word of the Lord, rips it up, throws it into the fire. But in Babylon, the word of the Lord shows up in the fire and saves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Isn't that amazing? Two of you think so. Okay. Three. Three of you think so. All right. What's that? That's right. Four is a symbol of authority, God's authority over the earth. I think that's good. 
Very good. Okay, so, so Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's confused here, right? He looks in, he says, wait a minute, there's, I saw four. Where, there's three, four, right? So that's where that comes from. Verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Now, when he says Most High God, that's significant. That is a title that is reserved for the Lord of God, for our Lord, all right, for God. So he is, for the first time, I think, acknowledging that Yahweh has to be superior because he's convinced after seeing this, right? And just to, to give you a little, a little bit ahead, the next chapter, the next chapter that we're going to be reading, chapter 5, is written by none other than Nebuchadnezzar himself. Okay, so this has a profound impact on him. All right, we're going to see that next, next week. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. So they're seeing all of this. They're there. Okay, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire upon them. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, and they were willing to give up their own lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Hmm. You know, it's pretty true, I think, all throughout Scripture that when you come to, to worship and accept the one true God, all other gods have got to go, don't they? Now, from a ministry standpoint so far how does this text apply to me and you today if you were preaching a sermon on this text what's the application okay sovereignty is a great lesson here isn't it god god is in control is there any more lessons we can learn, Pam? Um, God's always present. And, he, he, and kind of like Roxanne said, that, that presence was manifested in the fire. The presence was always there, but it was tangibly present in the fire, right? Anyone else? What gods are you bowing down to? What gods are you bowing down to? Man, that's a big one. Right? And, and of course, it's easy for us to kind of not think about that because we don't bow down to images today like they did. But think about why they did that. What was the point of idol worship? Was it because they truly believed that that image was their God that made them? No. It wasn't that they believed that. It was that they believed that they were higher powers that you could manipulate to get them to do something that would benefit you. And so typically what that meant was is that you would do whatever the rights were that they wanted. And usually that meant um, feasting and sexual orgies and sleeping with prostitutes. It was, it was all immoral. And the whole part, the point and purpose was is that here you are, you're out there, you're planting your fields, and you're hoping to get a, get a crop later on. And so to ensure that, you're going to make sure that you appease Dagon and Baal you know, and all these other guys. But there was two main things that you wanted in life. You want your crops to grow and you want children. In ancient times, you want your crops to grow and you want children. Well, how do you ensure that those two things happen? Well, you sacrifice to the idols. <laughs> That's what you do. So you do what you got to do to get what you want. Now, we don't have that today. So what do we do? We just, short, we just take out the middleman. We just worship what we want. <laughs> don't we? 
We just worship what we want. Forget God's. We don't need God because instead of worshiping another God to get what we want, we worship ourselves. And we say, I can do whatever I want. I can get what I want. I can give myself as much as I want. I don't, no one has to tell me what I, what, what I can and can't do. So it's still idolatry. It's just different, right? Any thoughts or comments? Yes. Because Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he was putting himself above all gods because he was saying, what, what god can keep you from my hand? Yes. And here it is. God keeps them all. Yeah, don't ever say that. Don't ever say, God, you, you can't do it. Don't ever, just don't. <laughs> just, pre- yeah, prepare to be humbled. Roxanne. The manipulation that you're talking about, um, manipulating the gods, well, God Almighty was manipulating, if you will, Nebuchadnezzar. That's right. And today, people that I perceive as my enemies might not actually be, but Lord revealed to me what I need to know. But those enemies, those people that are against God through me, um, He's got them too. He keeps giving Nebuchadnezzar chances. And the forgiveness that Maxine was talking about, he gives my enemies a second chance the same way he gave me a second chance. So God's got it. He's in control. And let's see how well he has it. Look at verse 29. Let's read the last couple of verses. Listen to King Nebuchadnezzar here. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, be cut into pieces. And here it is again. Their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Wow. Verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Isn't that amazing? Here you are, you read the story, and you think, oh my goodness, they're not going to make it. They're, oh, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And all along, like you said, Roxanne, it's really the other way around. This is just the silliness that King Nebuchadnezzar is doing while God's working on him. <laughs> That's what's really going on, yeah. Okay. Now, when I was asking earlier, how does this apply to us? I was wondering if somebody would bring this up. I'm glad you did. At what point, how does this apply to our relationship with the government, with the politics today? We've got to walk that, be careful here. But does it apply? Does, does what we just read apply to what we're experiencing today? You, yes or no? It does? Okay. Yeah, yeah, two hands here. Uh, microphone. Get the microphone. Just hand it to you. Yeah, thank you. I can do this. <clears throat> the government tells us what we can do and when we can do it, just like they were talking about abortion, just like they were saying a lot of things they want us to do. 
Well, who are we going to serve, God or the government? Right? Okay. What I saw in the text was um, God has us no matter what we do. But when it comes to the politics, only he can help. You know, he's the only one who can bring us back. Mm -hmm. You know, to give us back our government and uh, lead us and guide us. Because our government's way out there now. And they're like wanting to do this and wanting to do that. But we have to listen to God. That's right. Very Otherwise, good. There's no telling where this world will be without God. Okay. And that's all I have to share. We have yet to live in a, and I'll, I'll catch you in just one split second. We have yet to, we live in a country where we have yet to come up against a law yet that has really made us go, wait a minute, that's a line too far for me. But with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, there's a lot of people who are positive and thinking maybe some things are happening in our country. I don't know, but I do know that we're in a very weird time in our nation, and I do know that God has shown me some things that are coming down the road, and I do believe that there is going to be a time fairly soon where there are going to be issues that will come up governmentally where you and I will probably have to be more like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and choose our faith rather than choosing what the nation or the laws say. Yeah. I had this young lady this morning here at the church asking about the border, the gay movement. And she said to herself, she told me that she'll support it, but she also don't condemn it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So even the kids around here are curious they're confused of what's supported and what's not supported with this young lady. So I think I'll tell her if it's sin that they don't look at this. So watch out for the kids that be running around here asking questions. And we're living in a time where it's becoming increasingly more difficult even for a Christian in a church to say that. Yeah. So, yeah. To kind of elaborate what you were just saying, God said, love the people, not the sin. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's what it comes down to. Show them the love so that way he can shine through that. Right. And, and uh, my wife was having a conversation with somebody about this the other day, and it was, the, it was the same exact topic. And we are to love the sinner and to hate the sin, but we're also to live our lives in such a way so that we actually have a solution for people who are caught in sin. And that's the problem that I think that we're dealing with a lot in churches because the reason why we're so against talking to other people about the struggles that they're dealing with is because we're too busy dealing with our own as well. Does that make sense? You're a lot less likely to talk to someone else about their own sin when you're secretly living in yours. We have to live holy lives. We have to. And, and sometimes that means hard truths, right? Hard truths. Yeah. 
That's right. And then you can work, then you're like, oh, okay. Just like I was saying earlier, the Lord showed me because I mean, I, I have a judgmental spirit there. Right. And the Lord said, Where have you been? Mm-hmm. Who was there for you? Who never turned their back on you? You know, and it really convicted me. That's good. But yeah. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't seeing it, and, but you know that's just how sometimes it works. It's true. Good. All right. I heard the second bell. Uh, does anybody else have any thoughts or comments before we close? Are you going to bring up the verse from Revelation one fifteen about the one who held the stars in his hand? No, I was waiting for you to do that. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> That's very good. All right. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll stop here and we'll come back next week. I do want to mention next week before we get into chapter four, we're going to talk a little bit about theophanies in the Old Testament. Um, There are these times like when you have this appearance where people conjecture, wait a minute, is that an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ? Well, it turns out there are a number of these experiences in the Old Testament. Would anybody like to venture to guess how many? No. Come on, guys, a biblical number. Seven. There are seven. (laughs) Seven in the Old Testament. We'll talk about it next week. God bless.